Good morning. This is Michael's Financial Nuggets podcast with me, Michael Palmer. On the last podcast, we started talking about 10 must-answer questions as an investor. So we got through questions one through five. So if you haven't listened to that podcast, stop here and go listen to that one first. It's podcast 020. Today, we're going to continue asking these questions and wrap this up with numbers uh, questions six through 10. So just a reminder of what we're talking about here. Whether you're a DIY investor, do-it-yourselfer, or have an advisor, there are some basic things I think you should know, or at least some basic questions that I think you should be asking. These aren't overly complicated, but sometimes people can make them pretty complicated for different reasons. So I wanted to go through this with you fairly quickly just to give you a baseline knowledge of some of this and a, a quick recap of the questions from last week. So question one, are you invested in the market? Which market and why? Question two, can you name all of the markets you're invested in? Do you, did you know that there are many more markets besides just the S&P 500 or the Dow Jones or the NASDAQ? Question three, are you aware of the mental biases and blind spots that you're likely facing as an investor? And this can sometimes be a tough one because we got to be really honest with ourselves about how we're thinking. But there are many biases, right? Like a, an easy one, again, just as an example, is recency bias. And, and that just means that we're doing something because it's been good recently or herd behavior. We're making a decision just because others do it. Uh, question four, do you know the warning signs that you might that you may be speculating with your money versus prudently investing? And there's three warning signs, right? There's stock picking, market timing, and track record investing. Number five, do you have an academic understanding of how markets work? Similar to the previous question, but is your portfolio built on academia and science, not feelings? Okay, now for the last five questions. So number six, um, do you know how risk is measured in your portfolio? So there's something called positive correlation and negative correlation. And what positive correlation means is essentially if, if one goes up, then the other goes up. So for an example, if you just own large cap stocks, they're going to tend to move together, right? They're both going to go up or they're both going to go down. If you have two large cap stocks, that's called positive correlation. But we want to find combinations of things that fit together so that they don't go up and down together, right? So negative correlation means that just giving an example, if a large stock goes up, maybe a small stock goes down. That's true diversification in creating this correlation. Again, this isn't a new concept. When you read Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament, it talks about planning in the morning and in the evening because you don't know which one is going to work, right? We plant uh, crops, not stocks. We plant crops in the mornings and the evenings, and one of them will work and one might not. We're just creating that negative correlation. So if you buy stock A and it does awesome, stock B might do okay or stay stagnant. Now, obviously, if we knew that stock A was going to be the rock star, we would have put everything in it. But like I talked about on the last podcast, no one can predict, predict that. So let's say it's large stocks and large international stocks. From the 1950s until now, they both have returned about 10%. So if I put $1 in both, we'd be about the same spot today. But if I put them together, in one decade, one might have done better than the other. So in the 70s, international stocks did better. In the 80s, same thing. And then in the 90s, the US stocks do better. And then in the 2000s, international stocks. So we need stocks that are negatively correlated to smooth out the volatility. When putting all of this together, it creates less risk in the portfolio, which is the perfect lead into the next question. So number seven, do you have a system to academically measure portfolio volatility? 
it's kind of a lot of big words there, right? But so this is essentially an engineering method is what we're talking about here. So to make this very simple before I get a little bit more complex, just think of the Golden Gate Bridge. So I don't know if you've ever been to the Golden Gate Bridge, but if you're standing on the bridge, it actually sways. It goes back and forth. Now there's a very specific and scientific amount of sway that the engineers built into that bridge to where if it, if it swayed too much, it would break. But also if it stayed stagnant, it would also break. This is just called standard deviation, or in other words, the normal movement of the Golden Gate Bridge. The same thing is true in a portfolio, right? We have a normal amount of movement or standard deviation inside a portfolio. We want to try to shrink that deviation, that standard deviation curve, to maximize return for a given level of volatility. If this is all new information or you've never heard it before, there's a really good chance that the people managing your money don't really understand this. No offense to anybody, but many times it just isn't trained. I come at this from the form of an academic sense. So I believe that if you understand this, you won't stray from it and it will help you be a successful investor. So make sure you understand the standard deviation of your portfolio. So number eight, do you have an academic method for measuring the risk tolerance? And do you know what that is? That number is the standard deviation that we were talking about. And this number can change for many reasons, but one of the most common or the biggest reasons that people know that standard deviation changes is just somebody's age when they get older, they're younger, different things like that. Now, what's the purpose of the money? When do you need it? All of this affects standard deviation and what makes sense for somebody. Again, younger people tend to have a higher standard deviation because they have a longer runway before they need the money. So we took my daughter, Frankie, when she was uh, just before she turned three, we took her to Disney World because she was still free, right? Just being frugal. And uh, my wife is an adrenaline junkie. I'm not, right? So I was kind of dreading going down there because we thought my daughter, Frankie, was just like my wife and love roller coasters too. Again, I'm 6'5". I'm, I'm not made to sit on roller coasters. I think I'm always going to fall out. I get motion sickness. I want nothing to do with it. Well, Frankie, she got on her first roller coaster and hated it. She wanted nothing to do with it. And I was pumped, right? My wife was furious because she thought she was going to have a buddy to ride roller coasters with. All we're talking about here is Frankie's standard deviation that she's comfortable with. What roller coaster ride can she ride on before she gets scared and jumps off? The same thing is true in portfolios. We have to figure out what standard deviation you are comfortable with to make sure you can withstand staying in that portfolio. Because again, we know that behavior is one of the most important pieces, if not the most important piece to investing. So ask your advisor how he or she measures risk in the portfolio and explain it to you. I think you might be a little surprised. Number nine, do you know where you fall on the efficient frontier? So first, what is the efficient frontier? It's the investment portfolio that maximizes the risk return spectrum. So essentially, we are trying to maximize return given a specific standard deviation. So deviation is 10. And in one portfolio, we can achieve an 8% rate of return. And in another portfolio, the deviation is still 10, but we can get a 10% rate of return. It is more efficient to be in the second portfolio. We're taking the same amount of risk, but getting a higher rate of return. I'm trying to get my clients the highest risk adjusted rate of return on their money. If you don't know where you fall in the efficient frontier, you should do an analysis to find out. For example, if you're wanting 6% rate of return and you're taking a deviation of 10 to get it, what if there's a portfolio that could get you a 6% rate of return with a deviation only of eight? That would make sense to reduce risk and maintain return, right? And also, what are the time periods that you or your advisor are looking at? Depending on this answer, this can change the efficient frontier analysis. So is there a reason why an advisor is picking specific time periods? Number 10, and the last one, do you have well-defined investment principles? 
So I'm going to talk about this a little bit more in depth on a future podcast, but do you have these? Does your advisor, if your advisor cannot answer this question with a clear and concise answer, you probably should ask some more questions. But here are the principles that I preach to my clients. We want to own stocks. We want to diversify. We want to rebalance and we have to behave. Out of all of those, behaving is the most important. There are studies after studies after studies that show that people are not good at behaving. Typically, we can behave for a certain amount of time, right? Like the whole 30. I feel like every single year and January 1st, I see or hear people talking about doing the whole 30 where they eat very, very clean for 30 days. And on that 31st day, what does everybody do? They go buy donuts. They go just eat whatever they want or drink whatever they want. They go nuts. And the entire time that they're behaving correctly, they're just thinking about that 31st day. It takes consistent behavior over long periods of time in the investing world. And that's one of the reasons why people hire me or somebody like me to help with behavior and what their feelings are telling them in regard to investing. All right. So wrapping all of this up, you're investing in markets, right? Now you should know how some of it works. Now you don't have to know everything. That's why you have an advisor. Unless you're going to do this as your full-time job, you can't know all of this. But these should be some questions that you should be asking or things you should be thinking about. The big thing here is that you can measure risk. You can measure your risk-return relationship on the efficient frontier. If you don't know this, if you haven't talked about this with your advisor, you should ask why and you should find these answers. Lastly, have a purpose for why you're investing. Without that purpose, you're probably going to struggle to make good decisions and behave appropriately when investing. Again, go listen to Podcast 002 for a quick word on finding your purpose around money, and then you can always drill deeper into the purpose for investing as well. As always, let me know if you have any questions. Reach out to me if you have my cell or email. Otherwise, you can always go to my website, michaelgpalmer.com, and I will talk to you in a couple of weeks. Now for all the compliance, registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PASS, OSJ52880, Carroll Canyon Road, Suite 300, San Diego, California, 92121-619-684-6400. Securities products and advisory services offered through past member, FINRA, SIPC, financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York, PASS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Westpac Wealth Partners LLC is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Password Guardian Insurance Products offered through Westpac Wealth Partners and, L and Insurance Services LLC, a DBA of Westpac Wealth Partners LLC, California insurance license number 0L49687. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice, although the information has been gathered from sources believed to be reliable. Please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should be relied upon only when coordinated with individual professional advice. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by past Guardian or Westpac Wealth, and opinions stated are their own. Guardian and subsidiaries, agents, and employees do not provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Consult your tax, legal, or accounting professional regarding your individual situation. All investments and investment strategies contain risk and may lose value. 2023-162-793, expiration 1025, Georgia Independent Operator Association, GIOA, is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PASS or Guardian. <laughs> Diversification does not guarantee profit or protect against market loss. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Investing in the bond market is subject to certain risks, including market, Interest rate, issuer, credit, and inflation risk. Equities may decline in value in both real and perceived general market, economic, and industry conditions. Investing in securities or smaller companies tends to be more volatile and less liquid than securities of larger companies. Investing in foreign securities may involve heightened risk, including currency fluctuations, less liquid trading markets, greater price volatility, political and economic instability, less publicly available information, and changes in tax or currency law. Such risks are enhanced in emerging markets.